Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Zach Rosenblatt. And Zach, in a summer that nobody saw football coming way back in February or March, after a training camp where everybody kind of held their breath that we would all get through this, the NFL returns on Thursday night and the Giants kick off the 2020 season and the Joe Judge era on Monday at MetLife Stadium against the Steelers. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great, man. Uh, you know, I, I was out at I was out at Giants practice today, and, and we're going to talk about this in a second. But I, I I appreciate Joe Judge for giving us something new to talk about every week, is what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, every day, every day it's something new, and you certainly saw something that, at least in my nine or ten years of covering the NFL, uh, is unprecedented for me. And I'll let you kind of set the scene and tell the story before we get into what happened at practice on Thursday afternoon. Before we look ahead to what this season might bring, and certainly preview Monday night season opener against the Steelers, just a little bit of housekeeping. If you like what you hear on the show, we would love if you would subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, give us those five star reviews, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Zach Blatt. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And if you want to get in contact with us and not deal with Twitter and everything that goes with social media, you can sign up for the Giants Extra Text Service at nj.com slash text. So now that we got that out of the way, Zach, let's just zero in on what happened on Thursday because you were there. You saw it all go down live. And it wasn't the first time that Joe Judge has halted practice, but it certainly seems like a, a very different practice ahead of a regular season game than anything that I've ever seen yeah um, so they have a weird schedule anyway because they have a Monday night game so this isn't like going to be what the normal like they would be starting to wrap up normally today and then tomorrow would be a light one or whatever but since they're playing Monday it's different but anyway so you know we're out there practice uh the media were able to watch the warm-ups and the like individuals in the beginning of practice before they start doing team drills and they kick us out uh so they go through all those drills everything seems pretty normal on the surface it starts to rain a little bit, and then as as they kick us out, uh, we hear Joe the Joe Judge gathers the team at the middle of the fields, and he starts laying into them. Um, I was using some words that I would say we can't repeat on this podcast. Yeah, if we want um, this to be a family podcast, rated, probably it's a family uh, podcast. Talk, you, talk is cheap. It, it's also G rated. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, you, you can't actually repeat a lot of the things that are said by Joe Judge on the field. I, I found that out pretty quickly throughout yeah. August during camp. Yeah, yeah. So, so that goes on for a little bit, and then as we're leaving, we we hear you know they have like the announcements for when they do a new period of stuff, 
and they went back. They went back to stretching. They start. They went all the way back to the beginning of practice. Um, and we we all were like, "Is that what's happening right now?" Like we weren't a hundred percent sure. We were pretty sure that's what it looked like. They were all lined up. They were all walking down the field. They were jogging. They were stretching. So Joe Judge literally restarted practice because he was upset with the way things went, which was confirmed by Blake Martinez and Saquon. So we talked to the coach before practice, which isn't ideal in a situation like this. But we talked to Saquon Barkley and uh, Blake Martinez after, and they both. Confirm that he restarted it from the beginning, which, I mean, that sounds like a high school coach thing, but I don't even, I can't even imagine that's a common thing for high school coaches to do. It's Yeah, especially when you look at the NFLPA and the collective bargaining agreement, you only have so much practice time, right? Yeah, you only so, have I mean, so many theory, hours probably in a week cut, you can be on the field. You probably had to cut back the, the team drills later, like shorter. Because of yeah, that. and of course, we're not out there to see the full practice now that the regular season has started. It's not like training camp where you can be out there all day. But, you know, Saquon Barkley made an interesting point that he loved it. He loved the intensity, and he said that, you know, they wanted to get it right because there are no restarts on Monday night against the Steelers, and there is no restart in the middle of a game. Now, we don't know what went on to trigger this. We don't know what went on to upset Joe Judge. This happened, of course, before during training camp where he basically stopped practice practice with about 15 minutes to go in what was scheduled to be the practice chewed into them same thing profanity lace tirade basically imploring his team to bring more energy and then they finish strong over the final half hour it's interesting that these are the type of things that he's doing and i have a story coming out on sunday zach where i'm basically giving my 20 thoughts on the 2020 season and a little preview for that is thought number one And let me know if you agree with this or not. Joe Judge really has a limited window here because it's one thing to come in and take the names off the back of the jerseys, have the players run laps, chew out Saquon Barkley in front of the media, run an Oklahoma drill, stop practice, and then restart it in the first 15 minutes. It's one thing to do that if you're Bill Belichick or if you're Pete Carroll or even if you're Andy Reid to a certain extent with one Super Bowl ring. If you have that winning pedigree, which Joe Judge doesn't have, it's one thing to treat players players this way and in that regard but to be a first-time head coach and yes he's worked for Bill Belichick he's worked for Nick Saban but he's not Bill Belichick or Nick Saban that if they don't get results early the window in my opinion is is kind of limited for him to win over his team and keep this locker room united for an entire season based on how he has conducted this camp in these early practices yeah I mean you know it's funny you know he does, he didn't do he doesn't do any of these things i would think assuming that it would get all the attention that it does you know so he's doing all these things and it's getting national attention you know locally the players are supporting it there are some media members who support it, like his his concepts and how he treats his team and all that stuff but he's getting a lot of like negative attention league wide and then on top of that they're playing the primetime game on monday night where everybody in the country is going to be watching them and if they go out there and put forth a stinker uh, against a good steelers team then this it's going to be the top the whether fair or not like it's 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 suboptimal for Joe Judge that his first game after a weird offseason is on primetime because if things go poorly and you know Daniel Jones fumbles it the offensive line struggles they miss tackles whatever um everybody sees it every, every game is going to jump on him and be like second... oh so I guess it's another Bill Belichick clone that didn't work out and that's not fair but that's kind of like the attention that Joe Judge has drawn on himself and the Giants and that's kind of part of the nature of being a coach in New York like you're going to have more eyes on you I'm sure he was aware of that when he took the job. He's committed to being who he is, which I guess is respectable. But at the same time, like it's it's drawing more attention to him to the point where if they have a really bad season, it's all it's gonna it's gonna feel like he's on the hot seat next year, whether the the Giants and John Mara actually feel that way. 
Yeah, I agree. And and I'm going to couch all this by saying that he knows his football team a lot better being around them every single course, day yeah. than I do looking through the looking glass of seeing a couple minutes of practice and talking to players, you know, when we have the chance to. But but I will say this, that, I, I, hey, look, I gave him the benefit of the doubt that because this is a team that's only won 12 games over the last three years. It's a very young team. There aren't a lot of veterans that know any better and know that maybe this isn't what everyday life in the NFL is. All I'm saying is that if they start winning, if, if they pull off an upset against the Steelers who have arguably the best defense in the league or they go out to Chicago week two and they get a win there and maybe they pick off the 49ers or they beat the Rams, even if you start two and two, okay, that's one thing. You can kind of build on this and that the team can look back to August and early September and say, you know, we really came together during that slip inside fumble ball security drill or, yeah, that really sucked to have to restart practice, you know, prior to week one, but it built character and on and on and on. But if it goes poor, if they get blown out on Monday night, which is a distinct possibility because the Steelers are a Super Bowl caliber team in the AFC North, if they get blown out and then they're 0-2 with a bad loss to the Bears in week two on the road, all I'm saying is that you know, players tune this stuff out pretty quick in the NFL. This isn't my first rodeo covering an NFL team, and I know it's not yours either, Zach, but players demand a little bit of respect and command a little bit of respect. And if they start losing, I don't know the guys are going to be so eager to run that penalty lap, or I don't know the guys are going to be so excited to restart a practice 15 or 20 minutes in, in October as they are on September 10th. Yeah. I almost, I mean, someone you covered, I feel like almost they're close. Like Joe judge is a pretty unique specimen, just the way he approaches this, but I would almost say the closest you can come is like chip Kelly in terms of his approach to, like being a hard ass. And, uh, you know, I, I think Joe Judge is way more likable. I think his players probably like him more than Chip Kelly's players like playing for Chip Kelly. Maybe. I mean, I could be wrong about that. But, like, you, you saw with Chip how quickly things flamed out. You know, they, they had that first season in Philadelphia where they won uh, 10 games or whatever it was, and everybody was all about Chip Kelly. And quickly, that, that did not turn out the way it did. I'm not saying this is the direction it's going or anything, but just the idea that, like, he, you're creating a lot of scrutiny for yourself. And then if you go out and don't perform, then you're in New York and you're, uh, you know, you're a national storyline where everybody's going to be talking about, Oh, I wonder what Joe judge is going to do this week. Um, is he going to make them run laps in the middle of the game? Like, like everything's on the table with this guy. And I'll go next level here, Zach. And I just had this thought pop in my head as you brought that up, that in a lot of ways, this this is kind of twofold for Joe Judge, right? Because number one, he's setting the tone for his team and trying to install the culture that he doesn't believe that they had and they probably didn't have under Pat Shermer the last two years. But number two... We're all sitting here talking about Joe Judge sending players running laps, right? And the Oklahoma drill and restarting practice. We're not talking about the fact that Daniel Jones got sacked four times in the scrimmage and fumbled twice two weeks ago. We're not talking about the struggles in the red zone throughout training camp that Daniel Jones experienced and sort of the growing pains that the offensive line and specifically the Jones-Nick Gates center exchange went through all summer long. Joe Judge has kind of become the story. And whether he means to become the story or not, the fact that he's been able to deflect a lot of potential criticism and defuse a lot of possible storylines about concerns facing this team and some pretty important elements of this team at the start of the season, you know, intentional or not, I think he deserves credit 
for kind of crafting this narrative on the outside and sort of taking the pressure and the focus off of some of the concerns for this team. And a lot of that has to do with the fact probably that fans aren't at practices. They're not seeing this. It's out of sight, out of mind. But the fact that he's kind of become the storyline takes a lot of pressure off of the players. And I think that that's the right move for a young team. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I should say, I don't even necessarily think he's doing the wrong thing or that he's a bad coach. He very well could be a very good coach and all of his methods could work. For sure. Like, j- just like putting it all out there that like there's a lot more scrutiny on him now. And if things don't work, then it's it's going to be interesting to see how the New York fan base embraces him or because they all seem to be embracing his personality right now. The Bill Parcells, Tom Coughlin and him, New York fans love. Um, and we'll see how much they love it if it doesn't work this year. I mean, this is a, we're going to get into this, like looking at the season as a whole, but this is a rebuilding team. It's in the very beginning of a rebuild. I think they have a lot of question marks there. There's a lot of talent in this roster. There's a lot of players I'm very intrigued by, but there's also a lot of holes and a lot of question marks. So like this isn't going to, I don't see a scenario where this is a playoff team unless everything goes perfectly. Um, And in that case, Joe judge is going to win coach of the year. So, you know, what, what expectations are, I'm not sure. It's probably somewhere, in the six to seven to eight win range tops would be like the goal I would imagine for them. But if they don't get to that, I'm just curious to see like how the the city responds to that. Yeah, it's a very bizarre situation when you look at it in a lot of respects, because yes, it's absolutely a rebuild. And we can kind of transition to talking about the depth chart here. But you look at the offensive line, you're starting a rookie and Andrew Thomas at left tackle, you kind of have a band-aid at right tackle and Cam Fleming with another rookie, Matt Pert, who you took in round three, really waiting in the wings. And I thought he came on strong in the month of August. And it's probably only a matter of time before Pert becomes the right tackle. Then you have Saquon Barkley entering his third season and probably up for a big money extension this coming August offseason. Golden Tate is a veteran receiver. Sterling Shepard, a veteran receiver. Fifth-year option just picked up on Evan Ingram. But then you have a second-year quarterback. So you have some young pieces up front that are developing with the quarterback. And Zach, you know as well as I do that teams have a very limited window to win Super Bowls or make playoff pushes and build around a young quarterback on a rookie contract. And it's pretty critical that you lay the foundation when your quarterback is on a rookie deal. But that window is pretty slim as well right because you have to pay Saquon this offseason you're probably gonna have to make a decision on whether or not to pay Evan Ingram this offseason you have kind of an older wide receiving core but you have a lot of holes and question marks on a very young defense and an offensive line that you have a third year you know left guard and Will Hernandez a rookie tackle potentially another rookie tackle and a veteran in Kevin Zeitler so it's almost as if the Giants are finally slowly pulling the band-aid off on rebuilding whereas if they would have just ripped it off two and three years ago they might be in a much better spot today to push for a division title or more yeah i mean we don't need to relitigate the past but like if they had stopped with eli manning sooner they could have started the rebuild sooner and they'd be closer to competing right now that's i mean that's for sure um what were the big surprises for you on offense because i know there were some surprise cuts really on both sides of the ball but what, what really jumped out at you as this depth chart took shape on the offensive side you know the offensive depth chart isn't like a, a, there wasn't really any huge surprise. I think defense had some bigger surprises. I would say if you just look at that first unofficial depth chart and what they did with the roster, um, you know, Nick Gates. It, it seems like is going to be the, you know, the Giants are waffling and acting like they haven't picked a starter yet. I think Nick Gates is pretty clearly going to be the starter. Um, you Nick Gates came to the podium and held a press conference on Wednesday. We haven't spoken to Spencer Pulley on the podium. That's all I'm that's, saying. <laughs> that's actually a great point. I didn't even think of that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you, you know, you look at. Um, 
the wide receivers are who they are. You know, Corey Coleman was obviously a surprise cut for both of us, I thought. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see how much like a guy like C.J. Board plays or if they just stick with three wide receivers, two tight ends, you know, use two running backs every now and then. Um, but generally, I think the offense was as expected. You mentioned Matt Pert. I agree with you. I think he's probably going to be starting by the end of the year. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Cam Fleming. Um, but, you know, defensively, there's like a lot of question marks, holes, weird things they did on the depth chart. You know, you look at uh, Devontae Downs as of now is going to start next to Blake Martinez, um, at least until David Mayo gets back, if not after that. Uh, and take that would make Tay Crowder the top backup, and he's a Mr. Irrelevant. Um, at safety, this isn't a huge surprise, but it was just interesting to see they had Logan Ryan as the backup to Julian Love. That's just for now, I imagine, while uh, Logan Ryan gets uh, adjusted. And an edge rusher, I thought was maybe the most interesting on the defensive depth chart was that they had Marcus Golden as a backup to Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zyman as uh, in front of uh, Kyler Fackrell. I mean, they're going to rotate those guys all in, but I just found it interesting that Golden wasn't the listed starter there. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that they're certainly going to try to push Lorenzo Carter to have that third year breakout. And I thought that he had a really strong camp, not just in the scrimmage, but he kind of stood out during practices as well. There's another guy with Marcus Golden. It feels like a matter of time that he's going to be at the top of that depth chart. And, you know, what's really interesting, Zach, is even after averaging, I believe, 36 sacks each of the last two years, only 30 sacks two years ago, 38 last year, it it just really feels like the Giants have almost ignored pass rusher. I know they took Zymanez in the third round last April and they took Carter in the third round the year prior and they brought Marcus Golden back at the last minute and they signed Kyler Fackrell. But you're looking at uh, a pass rush by committee. And I don't know that that works in today's NFL. You look at Marcus Golden last year, high energy, high motor guy, double digit sacks. I'll go out on a limb. If you want to talk about making bold predictions, I don't know how if this is even all that bold. I don't know that there's a double-digit sack guy on this defense because they're just going to rotate through those outside linebackers. And and to me, I, I don't know how you set the tone up front as a defense without having that dominant Cam Hayward, Chandler Jones, you know, Shaq Barrett type of pass rusher that is going to generate consistent pressure to really power your defense and take pressure off your secondary. The Giants don't seem to have that guy as of now. Maybe Carter develops into that. Maybe O'Shane Zyman has develops into that, but I didn't really see O'Shane take a lot of steps during the preseason. I thought that Carter was the standout of that group, but you're not even talking about a top tier pass rusher on this defense. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious they're banking on those guys living up to the potential that they saw in them when they drafted them, which is a risk because if they're not up to the task, then they don't really have a backup playing. You know, Kyler Fackrell, he has a proven that he's capable of being a productive pass rusher, especially when Patrick Graham coaches him. He had 10 and a half sacks a couple years ago or whatever it was, but he only had one and a half sacks last year. So none of these guys outside of Marcus Golden have been productive pass rushers really in the NFL <laughs> last year. And even Golden, you know, he he's he's had a weird career where it's like every other year he is not productive, and that would leave this year being that one. Um, so it's going to be interesting, especially like if a guy like him gets injured, like they don't really have – like is Carter Coughlin going to be playing a lot all of a sudden? Is Cam Brown, who clearly wasn't isn't ready yet? Like it, that's been – that's a big question. I think linebacker as a whole – think we both agree may be like the worst position group on this roster at this point especially we didn't even mention this yet but they cut Ryan Connolly pretty shockingly I would say considering he looked really good last year before he got injured um I know he was working his way back he missed a lot of practice he started to look like he was getting some of his athleticism back towards the end 
and then they just straight up cut him and he got claimed by the Vikings. And so the guy that was projected to be their starting inside linebacker is gone and Devontae Downs is in there. And he's a guy that's only he never even played a defensive snap at the NFL and he's in his third year. So the linebacker group as a whole, counting edge rushers and inside, like I, I have serious concerns about it. Yeah, I think that Blake Martinez is going to be an upgrade over Alec Ogletree in a lot of areas. I think he's marginally better in coverage. He's a lot better against the run. And that's where I think maybe it's six-year half-dozen over there. But you're right. You start to talk about Devontae Downs as a starter in this league, you know, kind of as a bridge to get you to David Mayo if and when David Mayo gets healthy enough to return. Uh, I mean, listen, you could talk all you want about the concerns at cornerback, and we certainly will. I think that the, the right cornerback position might be the weakest position on any depth chart in the NFL but linebacker has been a weakness for this team for several years and they tried they went out and they threw a bunch of money at Blake Martinez they drafted three guys late but it's a little bit different drafting three guys late than drafting a linebacker in round two right or bringing in two marquee big money free agents when you had the cap space to spend and I know that Rome wasn't built in a day but if Dave Gettleman and the Giants believe that you win and lose in the trenches it's one thing to have a dominant defensive line which the Giants have a chance to have with arguably their strongest depth chart position on the roster with Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams but that linebacker play helps in that area too especially if they're going to be generating pressure on the quarterback so again it's a rebuild it's a long-term process but i'm with you they they're they have bodies at linebacker i don't even know that you can say that they have depth at linebacker right now yeah i mean in jumping off that i guess so when you look at this depth chart as a whole and this roster as a whole and everything we now know about them after watching training camp like has your feelings about how the season's going to play out changed at all you know that's tough because I i don't think that anybody who they cut other than maybe Ryan Connolly and to a far lesser extent, Grant Haley. I don't think I expected any of these guys to play vital roles on this team that you kind of churn through the bottom of the roster as they had been doing over the last two weeks. So I don't know that my expectations based on cuts changed. I mean, I'm a little bit worried about this offense, and it could be a case of Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones playing the cards really close to the vest and not showing anything during training camp and just installing basic plays and base schemes and not really putting anything out there in front of the media that would you know lead to a lot of excitement and kind of keep that under wraps before the opener. But I think my biggest concern is the turnovers for Daniel Jones are still present. The offensive line is going to be uh, a work in progress. And it's not just because Andrew Thomas is a rookie and Cam Fleming's a Band-Aid. Zach, these guys haven't had any practices all offseason. No OTAs, no mini camps. The only time they got to spend together was virtually through Zoom. Offensive lines take time to develop that chemistry and cohesion. The Giants don't have that and they didn't have the luxury of that time. So I think that after watching this team, I'm not going to say that I've changed my win-loss prediction, but I think that any optimism that I had of Jones taking that big leap forward and not just a step forward kind of eroded a little bit during training camp. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you know, that's the tough part. You know, we don't know if Jones is just going to be a bad practice player and he figures it out when he gets on when the lights go on and he goes out on the field on Monday night. Um, but yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones, you know, we've talked about this on pretty much every episode since I joined. He, he's going to decide how the season goes. It, not Joe Judge, not even Saquon, not the defensive players. It, it's If Daniel Jones is good, they're going to win more than four games. And if he th- turns the ball over too much, they might win four games again. Yeah, I spoke to Brian Baldinger this week for kind of an in-depth preview on 
Daniel Jones. And he thinks that when you look at his season, you could be looking at 4,000 yards, 30 to 35 touchdowns, but the problem is going to come in with the turnovers. I mean, nobody fumbled the ball more than Daniel Jones did a year ago as a quarterback. He had something like 11 interceptions. Those are just too many turnovers. And it's one thing to put up a bunch of yards and a bunch of touchdowns. And you kind of expect that with the weapons that he has around him with Darius Slayton and Saquon and Ingram and Shepard and Tate. It's what do you do protecting the football that's going to determine whether Jones is a quarterback in you know quarterback 15 to 18 in the NFL or if he's a top 10 to top 12 passer which you know there, there's a lot of reason with his arm strength his poise in the pocket his command of the offense his command of his teammates the ability to lead comeback drives and fourth quarter drives last year all of those things are things that you're excited about and encouraged about and make you think that okay this guy's ceiling might be that he's a top 10 quarterback in the league but until he cuts the turnovers that's going to be the big what if that follows him until he's able to do it or not. So going off that, I guess, so if, say if he does, like if he cuts the turnovers in half, like how many wins do you think the Giants get? Oh boy, if he cuts the turnovers in half and you think that the key turnovers last year, the Lions game, he had a fumble that was returned for a touchdown. He had a couple of bad picks against the Jets. I think you could say see the Giants winning eight or nine games, I would think. Yeah, and, and so then if he doesn't cut it in half, then probably closer to what you actually predicted, right? Correct. Yes. <laughs> How <laughs> about Would you? you have, I, mean, I had them at seven and nine, I believe, at the end, or no, six and ten. Sorry, I had them at yeah, six I have, and ten. I have them at six and ten as well. I, and, and I swear that we didn't, you know, collaborate no, or discuss yeah. our picks ahead of time. Yeah, and I think it's just like they're they're scheduled. Like there's definitely winnable games on it, but it, again, and like. Like winnable games like the Browns, for example, but the Browns have a lot of weapons, and I don't know if the Giants have the defense to defend those weapons. So, and the Bears know, too. I mean, the Bears are yeah, the Bears are quarterback one. situations a mess. They're starting Mitchell Trubisky, but even if they go to Nick Foles by week two, which seems unlikely, you're still dealing with Khalil Mack and a pretty dominant defensive line on the heels of playing a Steelers front seven that includes Cam Hayward and J.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. So the schedule makers didn't really do the Giants any favors at all with these first two games. Then you have the defending NFC champion San Francisco 49ers and then a trip out west to the Rams. Yeah, the first four are tough. It's brutal. And and you you talk about a quarterback trying to find his footing and work on ball security against a defense that produced 58 sacks a year ago and and is prone to punching out the ball. Khalil Mack, who's a game wrecker. And then you have Nick Bosa and that front seven, you know, looming in week three. You want to have a litmus test or a barometer for what Daniel Jones is? No, No better barometer than this first quarter of the season. I mean, even the fifth game, they go to Dallas and play the Cowboys, yeah. who have a pretty elite pass rush as well. So that's like five games in too. a row. You know, Aaron Donald in week four, yeah. where Daniel Jones is probably going to be under pressure. So we're going to find out how much better he really is at holding on to the football. Um, I mean, how, how are you feeling about this going to the Steelers game? I know it seems like a lot of Giants fans are getting pretty confident in this game, but I'm, I'm a little more skeptical for I don't think they really match up very well with the Steelers. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that more in more depth, but like, what's your general feeling going into this game? 
No, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm not sure where the Giants have an advantage other than maybe special teams. I think the Giants, uh, in terms of their special teams ranking last year, were a top five special teams unit in the league, and the Steelers, you know, weren't on that level. Um, you're going to see a lot of Saquon Barkley, I would think. And I just look at this across the board: Steelers front seven against the Giants offensive line. You have to give the advantage to the Steelers front seven. You look at the Giants receivers against the secondary for Pittsburgh. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick could have a field day back there and then it comes down to what's Daniel Jones able to do if he's under a barrage of pressure all night long I'm not really optimistic about this game I'm not really optimistic about the offense getting off the ground but again if they were just you know rope doping us during training camp and they come out and they run trick plays and Saquon Barkley's throwing the ball and Daniel Jones is lined up out wide and you're throwing all kinds of looks where the Steelers are kind of caught napping you're thinking what the heck is that maybe you have a chance but if you're just going straight up I think this defense against the Giants offense is a really bad matchup and Ben Roethlisberger on a revenge tour against this Giants secondary is the mismatch of all mismatches in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest concern I have is the Juju Smith Schuster matchup against the secondary. Um, Patrick Graham kind of didn't really answer when he was asked if like they would have someone follow him. Um, Juju it sounds like he's going to play a lot in the slot this year for them which would line them up in theory with Darnay Holmes. I'm sure they would bring Logan Ryan or Julian Levin to help. But, you know, between that and all the speed they have on the outside of receiver, they have guys like James Washington and Deontay Johnson, and they have like an, a couple other guys, I believe. And Ben Roethlisberger has obviously been doing this for a very long time, and I'm sure he's, he's just going to throw it away from James Bradbury and towards wherever Corey Ballantyne and Darnay Holmes are. And if those guys, don't, if those young guys don't step up and play better than maybe we expect them to right away, uh, this could be a really high-scoring game in the bad direction. Yeah, and I think that that's what the Giants would probably like to avoid, right? And we've heard Dave Gettleman all offseason talk about how they want to be a ground-and-pound team and how much he believes that you win with running the football and dominating the trenches. Well, well guess what? They're losing the battle of the trenches on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But if the Giants can set the tone early and you can commit to running the football with Saquon Barkley and he's able to get some push. And I think one of the things that encouraged me the most about the offense during the summer, Zach, is that I thought Andrew Thomas looked really good in terms of run blocking. And I think that this offensive line is probably better suited as run blockers right now than pass protectors. And you look at the Steelers last year, they had the 14th ranked rushing defense in the league, allowing a 109 yards per game but over the last three they averaged 146 yards against per game so my point is that we all kind of laugh at establishing the run especially in an era of the nfl where the passing game kind of reigns supreme but if they can put together a 14 15 18 play drive of just ground and pound running the football with saquon barkley and you know saquon it can go three yards three yards five yards 55 yards and, and you have a big play on your hands, then maybe you can keep this thing competitive and build on that. But other than that, if you get caught in a track meet with this Steelers team, if you get caught with Daniel Jones having to throw the ball 30, 35 Matt. times against that front seven, it's going to be a long night. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be – this is supposed to be like the, the next stage of Saquon's greed. He had, he had some interesting quotes today where, you know, he's talking about how he wants to be a complete back. He wants to be one that, you know, can do everything, can be a good pass protector, can be – um, good pass catcher, and he wants to be someone who's you know not scared to break tackles. And he, he, I think he mentioned Walter Payton as a guy that you know he liked the way his career played out. So they're gonna 
this offense is going to be built around Saquon Barkley. I think he's ready for that challenge. Um, whether, you know, the, the important thing is going to be that the passing game is actually a threat and that they aren't, you know, that Dan- they're not hoping Daniel Jones is the one taking the ball because he's going to turn it over to them. So, you know, so they're not stacking the box on Saquon. So I, that's going to be something to watch um, how they defend Saquon Barkley and how Jason Garrett employs him, deploys him, I mean. And, you know, I'm, I'm just very curious to see how involved he actually is in the passing game. A lot of the talk this offseason has been about him, you know, being heavily involved like he was as a rookie. And I, I kind of see it that way, too. But I'm, I'm just curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, me too. And I think that when you look at Saquon, and we've talked about this on earlier podcasts, I think there's going to be a lot of times this year where you have Deion Lewis in the backfield and maybe Saquon lines up in the slot, or you have a pro set with two running backs in the backfield. And when you have a a dominant, multifaceted running back like Saquon Barkley and then a fast, elusive, more than competent receiver in Deion Lewis back there, you can kind of dictate the defenses, right? I mean, you can keep them on their heels, keep them a little bit, you know, unpredictable in terms of what you're going to do in the run in the pass. And, you know, that's where when you look at the offseason additions, I, I almost think, you know, other than maybe Andrew Thomas, if he develops into that perennial all-pro protector of Daniel Jones's blindside, I almost think Deion Lewis might be the most impactful offseason pickup that they made. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued by how they wind up using Deion. He's looked really spry. Um, I know he didn't get as many touches for t- the Titans last year, mostly because Derrick Henry kind of had an unreal season where he led the league in rushing. So I'm curious yeah. to see how they actually do use Deion. I, I think we both have said, I, I think they're going to use him maybe a little more than people realize. Um, he's a good, he's really good in pass protection. They can split him out wide, they can split Saquon out wide. Um, and, you know, I mean, even just jumping off that, you know, he's in addition to this offense that for the first time on Monday night, it looks like Daniel Jones is going to be playing with all his weapons at the same time. I know you wrote something about that. Um, so Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, if Golden Tate plays, he was limited in practice so far this week, but I think he'll play probably if all goes well. So Darius Slayton, Golden, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley have never been on the field at the same time for Daniel Jones. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you go through 13 starts with Jones a year ago. He never had his full complement of weapons. And then you you go a step further than that. Even when Saquon Barkley was on the field after week three, I don't know that Saquon really hit the ground running again after that ankle injury until like week 13 or 14. So this is the really the first time in a lot of regards, not just getting them all on the field together, but getting them all on the field together fully healthy that that's happened with Jones. And that's where, you know, some of our concerns about the ball security and holding on to the football and all of those things kind of get tempered a little bit because he had those issues a year ago, throwing the ball to the Caden Smiths and the Eric Tomlinson's of the world and Cody Benny Latimer, Fowler yeah. and Cody Latimer and Russell Shepard uh, for, for a spell last season. He didn't have all of these weapons that he's going to have, presumably if Tate is healthy, as you said, on Monday. Yeah, and I mean that kind of ties back into a lack of depth at wide receiver where CJ Board all of a sudden is the next one up if somebody gets hurt, which is an issue. But I guess that's one you, we can deal with when that becomes an issue. Yeah, and I thought Board had a really nice camp, but again, Corey Coleman it was probably the biggest surprise cut of any of the roster cuts because he seemed uh, like the clear cut far and away. Yeah fourth wide receiver, best option in the return game. And now you're looking at a depth chart where you're probably throwing out Darius Slayton and Darnay Holmes as your two kick returners. And that's great. It's a lot of speed and all that, but you're also putting Darius Slayton, potentially your number one wide receiver at extended risk 
And then you have Darnay Holmes, who's a rookie back there. So it's kind of like, okay, I get using starting caliber players because you're trying to win on special teams and you view that as a legitimate phase of the game, which it is. But you're also putting guys at risk on a roster where you don't have a lot of quality depth behind either one of these guys. You know, to bring a full circle on Joe Judge, he had like the most Joe Judgeism that he's had so in a long time today where he was being asked about like using starting players on special teams like that, but specifically about Jareel Peppers, who's a special teams captain, is going to play a big role on special teams. Um, and his quote was basically, I think in the NFL, there aren't starters, there are just players. Um, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that kind of tells you what Joe Judge thinks about that. He's not really worried about the risk. He just wants, and I, and I get this philosophy to an extent, like you just want the best players on the field at all times. So, if, if that's Remember, how you, though, you were covering like the game with me in Soldier Field last year when Jabril Peppers got hurt. Don't yep, forget there you that. Go. You know, and it was did. a bad injury, too. It was his back. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, there is always a risk to doing this, but I think that this, once again, plays into the fact that you look at top to bottom on the roster, there aren't a lot of playmakers on the defense, and the offense is kind of beholden to Jones's development and the offensive line developing chemistry where, like you said, you want your best players on the field at, at, at all times, and that now includes special teams because you just need to do whatever you can and do whatever it takes to win these games. Yeah, I mean, if anything about Joe Judge, that's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to do whatever he has to do to win games. You know, somebody asked him today about if you would use your Bill Peppers on offense and you know, the ever secretive Joe Judge admitted he was open to that. Like, he, they're going to do everything. This is going to be a team that exhausts all options, even if it's putting the players at risk. So, Zach, before we get out of here, what are your big picture thoughts on the season? How do you think this unfolds? And what's maybe a uh, a player or two that you're excited to watch develop over the course of 2020? You know, I think we're going to learn a lot about what this team is this week. Um I mean, honestly, there's probably going to be like two seasons almost because you're going to see the beginning of the season, I think, is going to be a lot of rust for a team like the Giants that has a lot of new players, a new coach, new schemes. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they start off slow, especially with the schedule, and maybe they win some of those latter half games, you know, when they play, excuse me, the Washington football team and, and Cleveland and and Cincinnati and like all these winnable games. Maybe they start like catching their stride then. And if they do that, that's kind of what would, in theory, save Gettleman's job. And I could see it playing out that way. Um in terms of players I'm excited to watch, um, let's see. I would say I'm excited to watch Darnay Holmes. I'm curious to see like if what we saw – a lot. Of, there's always guys in training camp that play really well, and then you know you don't know if it's going to translate. And I'm very curious to see if he's as good as he looked because if he is, then the Giants have a starting cornerback right there. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, I'll say Darius Slayton. Um, I feel like we haven't talked about him that much. Like I feel like he hasn't been talked about that much, I have to say, in general. Uh, but, you know, he had a very, like, out-of-nowhere season last year to almost the point where that's, like, the expectation now. And I think it's going to be hard for him to sustain the eight touchdowns part of it, but if he can really be a threat down the field and get close to 1,000 yards and become Daniel Jones' like, favorite wide receiver, that's really going to be an important factor for the future because, as we've talked about, they don't have a number one receiver on this roster. Yeah, I'm going to be really fascinated to see how Joe Judge keeps this together over the first month. And I know we've been hammering that point and people are going to say that I'm being too negative and I'm down on Judge. I'm not down on Judge. What I'm fascinated to see is it's one thing to build the chemistry now during training camp. It's another to sustain it with these methods early in the season when you're struggling. And if he's able to do that and navigate through some potentially choppy early waters and they do finish strong, like you said, Zach, that could set the table for 2020 
2021 to be a really exciting year for this team with the Eagles in salary cap hell, the Cowboys getting older with Dak Prescott playing on a, a, a franchise, you know, franchise tag contract and Washington still trying to, you know, figure out their identity as a team. If Judge can weather the early storm and they finish strong and let's say that they win six or seven games with four of those wins coming in the second half, that's how you kind of sow the seeds to building a winning program. So I'm fascinated to see what they do early on. And hey, by all means, if, if they upset the Steelers week one, catch them by surprise. If they beat the Rams and the Bears and they wind up two and two to start the, the month of September, then by all means, you can start to get some momentum rolling. So just seeing how this plays out and how Judge is really able to navigate the early games is what I'm going to be really interested to see how it plays out. And a couple of players, Leonard Williams, for me, is a guy that I'm going to be zeroed in on you know, almost from Jump Street because I thought he had a really strong camp and that's a move that Giants fans are still very critical of in terms of Dave Gettleman trading a third round pick for him and rightfully so. It was a high price to pay to bring a guy into your building for eight weeks, but he looks like a disruptive playmaker and I think he's going to play his way into a big money contract at the end of the year. And on offense, Zach, it's Evan Ingram. I mean, if he can stay healthy in a system that turned Jason Witten into a future Hall of Famer and made Blake Jarwin into a contributing member of that overcrowded, over-talented Cowboys offense, then Ingram could be in for a big year and, again, another big payday. Yeah, um, I guess we, we, can end, we should end with uh, our predictions for this game. We, we both submit them every week. Uh, we, we publish our staff picks, and uh, I think I submitted mine yesterday. You did. I, have, I, had, the, I had the Steelers winning 38-24, to 24, largely for a lot of the reasons we, we've talked about. I'm not confident in their ability to block T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. Uh, I mean, Andrew Thomas, like you said, he had a good camp, but this is going to be his first exposure to these guys when they're in the NFL, like he's he's blocked like future NFL players in the SEC, but he hasn't blocked them in the NFL, and it's a different speed. All pro and caliber I, NFL I players too. That. I think the Giants are going to struggle with Juju Smith-Schuster and Ben Roethlisberger, and because of that, I think they're going to give up a lot of points. I think the Giants can score. Like I think they can get a couple touchdowns on this team. Um, th- these receivers are good enough on the Giants, and their tight ends are good enough to like put up some yardage. But I'm not confident. Like the Steelers are better than I think people are giving them credit for. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers are in the AFC Championship game or further than that, to be honest with you, especially if Roethlisberger can stay healthy. Uh, Andrew Thomas, I think, is one thing, having to go up against Bud Dupree and TJ Watt, and depending on where the Steelers line up, Cam Hayward, potentially against Hayward as well. The biggest issue, and I wrote about this on on Thursday, it's Nick Gates. He's going to have to call out the signals and account for Watt and Dupree on every snap. He's going to have to make sure that they don't bring a gap pressure on Daniel Jones and just bull rush him up the middle all night long. And to me, that that's the weakest link of this offensive line right now until Gates can prove otherwise. And you're going right out of the shoot against one of the best front sevens, if not the best front seven in football. Uh, I'm not as confident the Giants can, can score Zach because I just don't know that this offensive line is going to be able to hold up against this kind of test so early on. So I have the Steelers winning this game and winning pretty easily, forty-three to nineteen. Yeah, so we're, we're pretty similar thought process there. I, I will say I'm lo- I am looking forward to it. This is going to be our first game. We've covered some Eagles games together actually randomly. Um, and it's be the our first Bears game together. Giants game last year at Soldier Field. That's true. Right. Yeah, I covered the, the Bears game there, and uh, yeah, you know I'm looking forward. It's going to be an empty MetLife. It's going to be strange. Um, I'm going to be in the press box. I probably won't be anywhere near you, so we'll be communicating via text message and whatnot. But I'm looking forward to football being back. And the Chiefs game is on as we're recording, or it's about to start as we're recording this. And, you know, I, we both didn't, I think you and I were both in the camp of there's no way the season starts on time, but here it is. 
Yeah, and I think the NFL and the Giants and every team deserves a lot of credit for what they've been able to do in terms of their testing protocols, the way that they've kind of fortified their facilities against COVID-19, sterilizing the facilities every day, keeping them clean, all of the social distancing measures, wearing masks, all of the things that everybody listening to this podcast should be doing on a daily basis anyway. So kudos to the NFL for finding a way to get here. I'm happy we're here. I can't wait for football. I can't wait to watch this season unfold. I think it's going to be a drama-filled season as always, an exciting season, an interesting season for the Giants. And I'm looking forward to covering it with you, Zach. It should be a lot of fun. Yep, and uh, just around this time next week, if probably earlier, we'll uh, we'll have a little better idea of how we feel about the Giants season after we see them in game action for the first time in over a year. Absolutely. So enjoy week one of the NFL. Enjoy the Giants game on Monday night. He's Zach Rosenblatt. Follow him on Twitter at Zach Blatt. I'm Matt Lombardo. Check me out on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Zach, this was a lot of fun. I'll see you Monday at MetLife. I'll see you there.